Dear God, thank you for the Sabbath day. Thank you for all the blessings you have in store for us today. Lord, once again, I pray that you'd pour out your spirit on us. Revive us, Lord. I pray, O oh God, that you'd hide me behind the cross, that Jesus would be lifted up, and that we'd all be drawn to Jesus. And Lord, during this next hour with you, Lord, because of the time we spend, Lord, may our prayer lives become richer. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to tell you one of my favorite uh, stories, one of my all-time favorite stories about prayer. It actually comes from the life of George Mueller. After George Mueller reached 70 years of age, he did not retire. He began to travel internationally to tell people about God's faithfulness and how God provided for the orphans. And one time he was crossing the Atlantic when the ship he was on encountered a deep fog. And the captain of the ship later told the story. And I want to just read the story as the captain of the ship told it. We had a man of God on board, George Mueller of Bristol. I had been on the bridge for 22 hours and never left it. I was startled by someone tapping me on the shoulder. It was Mueller. Captain, I have come to tell you I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. Impossible, I exclaimed. I have never broken an engagement in 50 years, Mueller replied. I answered, I am willing, but I am helpless. We are in a fog. Let us go down to the chart room and pray, said George Mueller. I looked at him and I thought to myself, what lunatic asylum could the man have come from? I, I never heard of such a thing. I said, Mr. Mueller, do you know how dense the fog is? How do you think Mr. Mueller replied? I asked this question to a group of young adults, and, and, and this one young man, his reply was, fog? What fog? <laughs> Mr. Mueller, do you know how dense the fog is? No, he replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. He got down on his knees and prayed a most simple prayer. O oh Lord, if it is consistent with thy will, please remove this fog in five minutes. Thou knowest the engagement thou made for me in Quebec for Saturday. I believe it is thy will. When he finished, I was going to pray. But he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. First, you do not believe he will. And second, I believe he has, and there is no need to pray. <laughs> According to the ship captain, the fog lifted just as Mueller had requested, but the weather wasn't the only thing that cleared up that day. The captain also reported that the event completely revolutionized the whole of my life. I want to have that kind of prayer life. But do you know why Mr. Mueller had such power in prayer? It was because of the kind of walk he had with God. How many of you want a closer walk with the Lord? Amen. Amen. Yesterday we talked about five conditions for receiving answers to prayers. What was the first condition? We need to ask. The second condition? Ask specifically. And the third condition? Ask in Jesus' name. And the fourth condition? Ask according to God's will. Some of you are jumping ahead of me, but that's okay. And the last one is to ask and believe. It's to ask in faith. Today I want to look at three more conditions or dynamics of prayer that will help us to experience uh, more power in prayer and also see more answers. And then I also want to talk about some hindering factors. I want to begin by talking about praise and thanksgiving. Isn't it a blessing to come together in the morning and to spend time praising and thanking the Lord. Psalms 34 verse 1, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Not just in the morning prayer sessions, but at all times. They say there are two times to praise the Lord. Do you know when those two times are? When you feel like it and when you don't. 
So, if you're feeling good, you're going to praise the Lord. If you're not feeling so good, you're still going to praise the Lord. Amen? If it's sunny outside, you're going to praise the Lord. And if it's raining, you're still going to praise the Lord. Did you all get a good night's rest? If you got a good night's rest, praise the Lord. And if you had trouble sleeping because you had a roommate that snored, <laughs> praise the Lord. Amen. I think you're getting it. Psalms 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. When's the last time you went to the church, entered the doors of the church, praising the Lord and giving him thanks? Friends, let's go to church with praise on our lips. And if the sermon is good, praise the Lord. And if it's the worst sermon you heard, still praise the Lord. What would happen to our churches if, if, if our lips were, were full of praise? Psalms 22, verse 3, it says, You are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Friends, God dwells in the atmosphere of his praise. This means that praise is, just, is not merely a reaction when, when one enters into the presence of God, but praise is the vehicle of faith by which we enter into the presence and power of God. In Psalm 67, verses 5 through 7, it says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And we're told that three things will happen if we, his people, would praise the Lord. It says, Then the earth shall yield her increase. Secondly, God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And thirdly, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Amazing. Why is it that we praise God so little? Praise is, and thanksgiving is probably the command that's most repeated in Scripture. And I believe there's a reason for it. It's because God wants to bless us. Amen? Ellen White said, If we keep the Lord ever before us, allowing our hearts to go out in thanksgiving and praise to Him, we shall have a continual freshness in our religious life. I've heard a number of people share about how the experience in the prayer room has just done something for their religious experience. I believe it's, it's brought freshness to their experience. You know, one individual was saying, I knew something was missing. And one reason I believe that, um, that God is just really blessing um, our prayer room and our morning experience here is because of the praise and thanksgiving. Our prayers will take the form of a conversation with God. As we would talk with a friend, he will speak his mysteries to us personally. I believe our experience in God's word will be richer if we were to praise God more. Often there will come to us a sweet, joyful sense of the presence of Jesus. Often our hearts will burn within us as he draws nigh to commune with us as he did with Enoch. And that's what we want, right? To walk with God as Enoch walked with God. In Philippians 4, 6, we're very uh, familiar with this with this uh, command, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We are to come to God with thanksgiving when we come in prayer. Um, it's, it's amazing how, how often Paul talks about how we need to give thanks when he talks about the need to pray. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I used to have trouble with this text um, because, you know, not everything is good. There's a lot of evil. And how is it that God is asking us in everything to give thanks? When you're going through those difficult trials that you don't understand. There's a statement in the book, Ministry of Healing, that really helped me to understand. Ellen White writes, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. She then writes, This command is an assurance that even the things which appear to be against us will work for our good. God would not bid us to be thankful for that which would do us harm. Amen. Amazing. Okay, we serve a God 
who can work all things together for good. I don't know what you're going through. Okay? But he can take that thing which appears to be against you and use it for your good. Can you think of a beautiful story in the Bible where this happened? It's the story of Joseph. Okay? Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Everything was against this young man. His brothers betray him. He's sold as a slave to the Ishmaelites. He ends up in Egypt. He's working for Potiphar. Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. He ends up in the dungeon. He interprets the dream of the chief butler and the chief baker. And one survives and is blessed. And, and the chief butler is asked to remember him when life is well for him, but forgets, and Joseph continues to remain in the dungeon until later he interprets Pharaoh's dream and he's elevated to the position of prime minister. Okay. And as a result, when the famine hit, all his family came down to Egypt and life was good for the whole family. But when Jacob passed away, his brothers were afraid. They were afraid that now Joseph was going to come and take revenge. And they came and they fell at his feet saying, hey, we are willing to be servants. And that really hurt Joseph because he loved his brothers. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? And I love the next verse. He said, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Beautiful story. But there's a story even more beautiful than this. It's the story of the cross. Jesus came to this earth, and he went through much trial, tribulation, endured suffering, and end of his life, he gave up his life on the cross. And, and I love what James McConkie in his message, Commit Your Life to God, I love the way he puts it. He says, The bleakest crime of human history was the crucifixion of him who was that Joseph's great antitype. It seemed the master stroke of the devil, the final extinguishment of the light of the world, the utter defeat of the God of the universe. Yet out of it flowed the blessings of a redemption which will glorify God through all the ages of eternity. Amen? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the circumstances of your life and the things that seem to be against you. But I want to encourage you okay, to do what God says to do, to give thanks. You don't understand, but just trust Him. God knows what He's doing, and He says in everything, give thanks. So you thank Him, and you just keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. And when we exercise our faith and do what He asks us to do, that allows God to begin working in our lives. Ellen White says in Testimonies, Volume 5, page 317, We do not pray any too much, but we are too sparing of giving thanks. If the loving kindness of God called forth more thanksgiving and praise, we would have far more power in prayer. John Hyde was a great man of prayer. Um, I will be speaking more about um, his life in the message tomorrow morning. But um, his prayer life ranks in a league um, with that of George Mueller, Charles Finney, um, D.L. Moody, and other great prayer warriors of church history. He was used mightily by God to win souls. Mr. Hyde used to say that at any time when he noticed few souls being led by him to Christ, he invariably found it was all due to his lack of the spirit of praise. He would then confess his sin, ask pardon, and take the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. His experience then invariably was that Christ would again draw souls to himself through him. It's a beautiful story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I invite you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And if you could say amen, if you found the passage. 
We'll begin verse 1. It says, It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Jedi. And Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He's got this problem. This multitude is coming, and he knows that he is in trouble. What do you do when you're in trouble? Do you go to your knees in prayer? It was Corey Tenboom, he said, who said, let prayer be your steering wheel and not your spare tire. Let's continue. Verse 4, so Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Beautiful prayer. We're just going to jump down. We're going to go down to verse 12. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you don't see the solution. Keep your eyes on Jesus, amen? Our eyes are upon you. And friends, we need, we, we need to stop telling God how big our problems are. We need to tell our problems how big our God is. Amen? Amen. Verse 13, it says, Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God's. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. You know, that's beautiful to know that the Lord will fight our battles for us. Going down to verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. He's got the praisers up in the front as they're marching off to battle. As they went out before the Lord and were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Can we say that together? Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. They were praising the Lord, and the Lord defeated their enemies. You know, it's wonderful to be here at Leone Meadows. Great place, right? And we're having a mountaintop experience with the Lord. We're surrounded by wonderful brothers and sisters who want the same experience. But tomorrow, we go back down into the valley. And that's where the fighting is the fiercest. And we need to leave this place saying, Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Because if we don't go forward praising the Lord, we might get slaughtered. Amen? We've talked about the importance of praising and, think, and giving thanks to the Lord. I want to talk about persevering in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Pray without ceasing. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, I thank God as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul practiced what he preached. Ellen White says, Our prayers do not always seem to receive an answer immediately. I'll read that again. Our prayers do not always seem to receive an immediate answer, but Christ teaches that we should not cease to pray. Prayer is not to work any change in God. It is to bring us into harmony with God. 
God wants us to become in harmony with His will. In Christ's Object Lesson, page 143, we are told when we make requests of Him, He may see that it is necessary for us to search our hearts and repent of sin. Therefore, He takes us through test and trial. He brings us through humiliation that we may see what hinders the working of His Holy Spirit through us. So don't get discouraged when you're praying and the tests begin to come. Okay? It's been said that without a test, there is no testimony. Okay? We've got to go through the tests, friends. So when the tests and the trials come, you continue praising the Lord. Amen? Adoniram Judson, the great American missionary to Burma, who made the Bible available to the people in the Burmese language, he says, God loves importunate prayer so much that he will not give us much blessing without it. And the greatest blessings I've experienced have always come after much, much persevering prayer. And the reason that he loves such prayer is that he loves us and knows that it is a necessary preparation for our receiving the richest blessings which he is waiting and longing to bestow. And what would happen if God would just bless us every time we pray? I mean, we would think he is like a, a celestial Santa Claus. Okay? God wants to do a work in our lives. He wants to do a work on our hearts. And that happens as we wait on the Lord in prayer. Luke eleven nine, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. We must ask. We must seek. We must knock. Each word indicates a deeper level of intensity. And this was shared after Jesus shared the parable of that persistent friend who went to his neighbor at midnight and would not be uh, turned away without receiving bread. Ellen White says, God does not say ask once and you shall receive. He bids us ask. Unwillingly persist in prayer. The persistent asking brings the petitioner into a more earnest attitude and gives him an increased desire to receive the things for which he asks. What do you desire? Do you desire God with all your heart? As the psalmist put it, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you. Is that what you want? Friends, do you, do you desire revival? I've read in a number of places that God will not bless us with revival until we are desperate for revival. The reason we are getting up at 6.15 in the morning to seek the Lord together in prayer is because there are people desperate for revival. And that's why we've got a prayer room going on all day long. It's because we want God to come and visit us. Brian Edwards, in his book, Revival, A People Saturated with God, I love that title. It's a beautiful definition of revival, a people saturated with God. It says, God frequently brings his people to the point of desperation before he sends revival. Only then will they learn that without me, you can do nothing. Ellen White says, there's no danger that the Lord will neglect the prayers of his people. The danger is that in temptation and trial, they will become discouraged and fail to persevere in prayer. Our prayers are to be as earnest and persistent as was the petition of the needy friend who asked for the loaves at midnight. The more earnestly and steadfastly we ask, the closer will be our spiritual union with Christ. Friends, if you want a closer walk with Christ, if you want a stronger spiritual union with Christ, if you want a richer abiding experience in Christ, it's going to come through much prayer. Uh, Ellen White, sensing the spiritual weakness among God's people, asked the angel why there was no more faith and power in Israel. He said, Ye let go of the arm of the Lord too soon. Press your petitions to the throne and hold on by strong faith. The promises are sure. Believe ye receive the things ye ask for and ye shall have them. I was then pointed to Elijah. He was subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly. His faith endured the trial. Seven times he prayed before the Lord, and at last the cloud was seen. But what, what would have happened if he stopped after the sixth prayer? 
Ellen White says, had he given up in discouragement at the sixth time, his prayer would not have been answered, but he persevered till the answer came. Have you been praying and praying and praying for something and you're thinking about giving up? I want to encourage you to continue praying. Ma'am, you keep praying for that husband, that he would fully commit his life to the Lord, and that he would take up his responsibility as priest of the home. Amen? Moms and dads, you keep praying for that wayward child, that rebellious wayward child, that, that, that God would continue to work upon his heart and woo his heart and save him into the kingdom. God will hear your prayers for your children. At the last Army Bible camp, I met this young man in the prayer room, and he said that his mother was a woman of prayer and prayed much for him. But sadly, she had passed away, and he came into the church after she had passed away. But please understand that even if you are to pass away, your prayers will live on. Our prayers for our loved ones are never wasted. It was Ian Balance who said, prayers are deathless. They outlive the lives of those who utter them. So don't give up. You keep praying for your loved ones. George Mueller said the great point is never to give up until the answer comes. I have been praying for 52 years every day for two men, sons of a friend of my youth. They are not converted yet, but they will be. I heard a story about how one individual that he had prayed for came to the Lord one day later after he passed away, before George Mueller's funeral. How was George Mueller so confident that they would be saved? I mean, thousands were saved into God's kingdom through his prayers. How was he so confident that God would save them? Because of God's word. 2 Peter 3.9, which tells us that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we can pray believing that it's God's will that our loved ones be saved. He says the great fault of the children of God is that they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray until they get it. Amen? Andrew Murray says, It is through faith and patience we inherit the promises. Faith says most confidently, I have received it. Patience perseveres in prayer until the gift bestowed in heaven is seen on earth. Believe that ye have received and ye shall have. Between the have received in heaven and the shall have of earth, believe, believing, praise, and prayer is the link. Right. We've got to move forward on our knees, praising and thanking the Lord. We've got to persevere till the answer comes. I want to talk about the the blessings and the power of united prayer. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus says, Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Do you have a prayer partner? If you don't have a prayer partner, it may be a good idea that before you leave this place, you ask God to find you a prayer partner. A prayer partner that knows how to get prayers to the heaven. It is such a blessing to be able to unite with others in prayer. Elohim I said, the promise is made on condition that the united prayers of the church are offered, and in answer to these prayers, there may be expected a power greater than that which comes in answer to private prayer. The power given will be proportionate to the unity of the members and their love for God and for one another. Could it be that God is just so pleased when His people are united and loving one another? that he just pours out his spirit and greater answers are seen. In John 13, verse 35, we're told, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Um, I've got this one friend, and whenever he's in trouble, I get an email from him. But it's not just me. There's a few others that the email goes out to. And one time I got this email. He says, Just wanted to thank you guys and let you guys know that God answered our prayer. Thanks for the prayers. Every time I have a problem, I ask you guys to pray, and God always answers. It's powerful to have a set of prayer friends like this. Wow, am I blessed or what? I love the story in Mark chapter 2, verse 3 to 5. 
Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. You're all acquainted with the story, right? This paralytic was a blessed man. Amen? He had four good friends. Okay? Not four worldly friends, but they were spiritual. And that will come out later. Verse 4, And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. They weren't concerned about making a mess. They were going to get their friend to Jesus. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? It wasn't the paralytic's faith because obviously he had some problems in his life. Amen? He had sins in his life. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, when my wife and I and our sister Melissa was at Soquel camp meeting for 10 days, running that prayer room, this story came to my mind because we saw God just heal so many people in so many different ways. And, and my wife and I and Melissa, we felt like we were the four men here in the story. All we were doing is just bringing them to Jesus, taking them to Jesus in prayer, and it was Jesus coming down, touching the lives of these people. And I share the story because, you know, it's such a blessing to have prayer partners. Charles Finney said, Nothing tends more to cement the hearts of Christians than praying together. Never do they love one another so well as when they witness the outpouring of each other's hearts in prayer. Their spirituality begets a feeling of union and confidence, highly important to the prosperity of the church. It can be doubtful whether Christians can ever be otherwise than united if they are in the habit of really praying together. And where they have had hard feelings and differences among themselves, these are all done away by uniting in prayer. You know what the best way is to end a board meeting? United prayer. Spending some good quality time together in prayer. And where there have been hard feelings, okay, they're done away with. You know, I heard someone say that prayer can salvage any bad meeting. Okay? Come together and pray. And God's Spirit works and blesses. David Aguilar um, was a young man. He and his wife, Tammy Aguilar, served in the Philippines as short-term AFM missionaries a few years ago. If you get the AFM ma magazine, you may have read their stories. Anyways, he visited our prayer booth, um, prayer room at Soquel, and he came in just wanting to find a quiet place where he can pray because he wanted to gather his thoughts for this testimony he was asked to share in the Spanish tent. And uh, it was getting close to noon, and he was also a little bit hungry. And when he came in, it was Melissa who was getting ready to lead us through another session of prayer. And this is his testimony. He says, Soon she went around and got all of the participants' names and told, told us that even though we were coming in as strangers, we would leave as family, because she had already heard many people say that you could feel a special kind of love in that very room. I thought to myself, come on, lady, let's just get this show on the road. Oh, brother, I know that this is going to be a long prayer time. I should have just prayed somewhere else. Well, we ended up singing before we prayed, which actually threw another curveball at me, not to mention annoy me even more, since I just wanted to pray and go. When we finally ended up praying, I felt a strange thing happen to me. During or just a few moments after the first segment of praise, I started to sense an incredible amount of love for every person in the room. To be more specific, I recall thinking, I really want to get up right now and hug every person in this room. <laughs> it was amazing. The rest of my time there was so powerful that I knew I had encountered Jesus. Yes, I knew I had been in the presence of Jesus. Prayer is powerful. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Please understand, it does not say, if my man who is called by my name will humble himself and pray. It does not say, if the woman of my choosing who is called by my name will humble herself and pray. Otherwise, we could just have Melissa praying in that room all by herself all day long. And God would pour out His Spirit. God is calling His people to pray. Amen? And He says, I will come and I will heal your land. 
I love this quote that I came across somewhere. Notice we never pray for folks we gossip about, and we never gossip about the folk for whom we pray. For prayer is a great deterrent. Amen? Can you agree with this? So what if we started praying for our pastors? Praying that God would bless their ministry. We'd find ourselves wanting to support our pastors. By the way, it's been said that if you want a better pastor, pray for the one you have. So before you start complaining, because we're not going to complain anymore, right? We're going to praise the Lord. Okay? Pray for your pastor. Ask God to just fill him with his spirit so that the Holy Spirit can empower him to, the work, to do the work that he's been called to do at your church. Let's pray for our enemies. That's what Jesus tells us to do, right? Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Ellen White says, it is not the opposition of the world that most endangers the church of Christ. It is the evils cherished in the hearts of believers that works their most grievous disaster and most surely retards the progress of God's cause. There is no surer way of weakening spirituality than by cherishing envy, suspicion, fault-finding, and evil surmising. Anybody enjoy eating at IHOP's International House of Pancakes? I went there a few times. Enjoyed some uh, waffles with strawberries on top. You know, they serve a lot of stuff there. They have hash browns, eggs, sausage, and a bunch of other stuff we don't eat. <laughs> but before I went there, I didn't know what they all served. But what is the one thing you would know for sure that they would serve there? It's pancakes, right? Jesus said in Matthew 21, verse 13, My house shall be called a house of prayer. So what is the one thing you could expect in God's house? It would be prayer, right? I mean, music is important. Evangelism is important because that's the reason we exist. But Jesus doesn't say my house is a house of evangelism or a house of worship or a house of witnessing. He says, my house shall be house called a house of prayer. So how come prayer isn't happening in a lot of churches? It's because Satan is working so hard and doesn't want prayer taking place. Ellen White says that the church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning, it has been God's plan that through his church shall be reflected to the world his fullness and his su sufficiency. No wonder the devil is attacking the church. This is amazing. Douglas Kamstra in his book, The Praying Church Idea Book, writes, the divorce rate among couples who profess to be Christians is 28%. The divorce rate among couples who pray together daily is less than one-tenth of one percent. There's a book called Couples Who Pray. And in this book, um, they mention a study called Love and Marriage, which was carried out by Gallup Poll in the late, um, in the late 1980s. And the most astonishing aspect of this study called Love and Marriage is the revelation about couples who pray. They discovered that couples who prayed were far more happier than those who didn't. And the following data comes, uh, I got from this book. When it comes to happiness, 60% versus 78% are likely to say their marriage is happy, a difference of 18%. 74% versus 91% say, my spouse is my best friend. When it comes to family and children, 64% versus 75% say they agree on how children should be raised. When it comes to communication, 42% versus 53% of these couples say they try to talk together without interruption. When it comes to respect, 59% versus 77% say, my spouse makes me feel important. When it comes to delight, 39% versus 69%, a huge 30% difference agree that my spouse delights in me. When it comes to stability of marriage, 81% versus 89, pardon me, versus 93% agree if they had to do it all over again, they would marry the same person. Amazing, huh? The authors of this book, Squire Rushnell and Louise Duarte, put together a 40-day prayer challenge, and they had 24 test couples. Some were married for only two years, and some were married for as long as 24 
years. It's so beautiful to see a happy couple up here in the front. Just can't help, they just can't help smiling. And they asked these couples to pray for 40 days. Just spend five minutes a day praying for 40 days. And it was amazing that in less than two weeks' time, all these couples started reporting positive changes in their marriage in just two weeks' time. So what would happen if those of us who are married, we left Army Bible Camp and we took the 40-day prayer challenge? What would happen? What would happen to our homes? Uh, my wife and I, we try to get together every night um, and we spend anywhere from 5 to 30 minutes um, praying together. And we enjoy using the conversational prayer format, which is what we're using in the mornings or in the prayer room. And the beautiful thing about the conversational prayer format is that you can do it with two people or you can do it with 200 people. We begin by thanking the Lord for the blessings of the day. And then we go into a time of confession. And if during the day, if my wife has spoken harshly to me or mistreated me in some way and she didn't have time to recognize it or she did not have an opportunity to ask for forgiveness, guess what? It comes out during that time. And when I hear her confess to the Lord, you know what it does to my heart? Healing takes place in my heart. And it makes me just appreciate her so much more. And it makes me see the beauty of her character because I see the work Christ is doing in her as she responds to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. What if we spent just five minutes a day together each day in prayer? Friends, we'd save a lot of money and not have to spend it on marriage counseling. Amen? And we could put that money into missions and finish the work and go home sooner. Amen? Amen. 40-day prayer challenge. Pray about this if God is asking you to take the 40-day prayer challenge. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said, I seriously doubt if there would be many divorces among Christians if they took time to kneel in prayer once a day and prayed for each other. Talked about praise and thanksgiving, about the need to persevere in prayer, about the power that comes through uniting in prayer. I want to talk about the hindering factors. Sin's impact on prayer. In Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. In Psalm 66, verse 18, the Lord makes it very clear, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. In the prayer classic, the kneeling Christian, we're told, One sin allowed in the life wrecks at once our usefulness and our joy and robs prayer of its power. Friends, we all struggle with um, inherited and cultivated tendencies to sin. And we're asking God for victory. Amen? But it's an altogether different thing to hang on to a cherished sin and saying, no, I don't want to let go of this one. Okay? That, will, that will rob prayer of its power. From the same book, the Kneeling Christian says, there's little doubt that failure in the prayer life is often always due to failure in the spiritual life. Having a good prayer life, friends, um, is not an option in the Christian life. Okay? It is very important. And one way you can tell if you have a good prayer, a good spiritual life is, is, is by seeing whether you have a strong prayer life. Okay? If you enjoy spending that time in prayer, if you're seeing prayers go through to heaven, okay, something is right about your spiritual experience. In 1 John Chapter 3, verse 22, it says, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. It's Charles Spurgeon who said, If you do not do Christ's will, He will not do your will. If anyone should tell me of a man whom God greatly answered in prayer and then inform me that he lived in gross sin, I would not believe it. It is impossible for God to patronize a guilty professor of religion by giving him success in prayer. S.D. Gordon, 
says, if I'm holding something in my life that the master does not like, if I'm failing to obey when his voice has spoken, that to me is sin. It, it may be wrong in itself. It may not be wrong in itself. It may not be wrong for another. If that faithful, quiet inner voice has spoken and I know what the master would prefer and I fail to keep in line, that to me is sin. Then prayer is useless. Sheer waste of breath. Does that make sense? Okay. There are some things that may be okay for you, but for me, it may not be okay if God has told me that it's not okay for me. I'll give you a quick example. Last December, we are preparing for our trip to Southeast Asia. And a few weeks before um, the trip, the Lord started impressing me to let this one Burmese worker in our office use our car for a month and a half while we're gone. And the impression started getting stronger and stronger, and I just sensed that God was saying, let him use the car. And I said, well, Lord, everything I have is yours anyways, so I'm willing to let him use the car, but I don't think my wife's going to feel so comfortable about it. Okay? And I can't just make these kind of decisions on my own, so please impress her. So I kept praying for her. Okay? Um, I'm in a staff meeting a few weeks before I leave, and I told our staff that I'm going to need a ride to the airport. And, and this Burmese brother, who doesn't have a car, says, I can pick you up. I can give you a ride. And inside, I was like chuckling, and I'm thinking, well, you don't have a car. But then the Lord said, it's because I want you to let him use your car. <laughs> now, this Burmese brother is amazing. I mean, he came by faith from Southeast, from Southeast Asia out to Barren Springs, and is just living by faith, trusting the Lord for everything. And faith says, I will have it, right? And so he just talks faith and moves forward in faith. Well, I kept praying about this, and um, finally I decided I need to, um, I kept dropping hints to my wife, saying, we need to pray for this brother, he needs a car. <laughs> but it didn't seem like my wife was getting it. Uh, well, my wife took off to Korea one week before. I would go to Korea, stop by, pick her up, and then fly into Southeast Asia because all her family is in Korea. Uh, and one day, God convicted me so strongly about letting him use our car that I tried calling her. I tried many times, but I couldn't get through for some reason. The next morning, again, God spoke to me through one of the devotional books I was reading. And so I tried calling her again and couldn't get through. And I said, God, are you telling me just to go forward with this even though I don't get her consent? And I said to the Lord, if you're wanting me to go forward, Lord, is there an incident in the Bible where you told one spouse to move forward and do something without the spouse consulting the other spouse? And right away, the story of Isaac and Abraham came to my mind, where God told Abraham to take his son. And so I decided to move forward. And once I made that decision, later in the evening, I called my wife. And to my utter amazement, do you know what she said? God has already showed me that he wants us to let him use our car. And she has her own story of how God had been convicting her and how she kept saying, no, not the car, Lord, anything else. I mean, we had helped this brother out in so many ways, but not the car. <laughs> but we let, the, we let him use our car. Okay? And when the Lord made it so clear to us, if we would have said, no, we're not, I believe that would have been sin for us, and we would not have experienced great blessings as we went to Southeast Asia. Anyways, we came back, and this brother told us about how he was driving, and on a couple of occasions, you know, in Michigan, it's winter, a lot of snow. On a couple of occasions, he had a couple of close calls, but the Lord delivered him every time. And we knew the Lord would. I mean, if, 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 if the Lord is the one asking us to let him use the car, of course he'd take care of the car, Amen. I want to quickly talk about um, some specific sins. The idols in our hearts, friends. The things that consume our lives. The things that we put all our time, energy, focus, and passion into. It may be a job. It may be some kind of possession. It may be a spouse, children. It may be a position or status. And worst of all, self. Okay. God will not hear our prayers if we have idols in our lives. 
I don't have time to go through all the slides, but the second specific sin I want to talk about is having an unforgiving spirit. Friends, I believe that bitterness in the heart and having an unforgiving spirit is keeping more people from experiencing power in prayer than any other sin. Okay? We've got to let go. We've got to forgive. And if you've got bitterness in your heart and you're having trouble loving somebody, go spend time in that prayer room. And stay on your knees till God does a work on your heart. I also want to talk about um, treating our family right. We're told um, that our husbands are to treat our wives right or our prayers will be hindered. It also means that our wives need to treat our husbands right. We need to treat our family members right. Some of the hardest people to love are our families. And the people that are harder to love than our families are our in-laws. Amen? (laughs) If you've got wonderful in-laws, praise the Lord. If you've got difficult in-laws, praise the Lord. And lastly, um, unforgiving spirit and stinginess in giving, friends. Friends, um, the Bible says, he who turns away his ear from the poor will not be heard. We've got to be generous. In James it says, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him who is sin, it is sin. So when you walk through the lobby and you see these various ministries that are reaching out to help the poorest of the poor, don't turn your eyes. If the Lord is asking you to learn more about those ministries, help the poor. God will bless you. The reason God was able to bless George Miller with so much is because he just kept passing it on, kept passing it on, seeking to give and be a blessing to others. Please open your Bibles with me to Psalms chapter 66. I want to leave you with a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer that I pray every day. It's Psalm 67 and not 66. In verse 1, it says, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? We want God to bless us. We want God to cause his face to shine upon us so when people see us, they will notice something different about us. You know why God blesses us? He never blesses us just for ourselves. He always blesses us so we can pass on the blessings to others. In verse 2, it says, that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Pray this prayer every day. God, bless me so that I can bless others. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear God, thank you for all your precious promises. Thank you for being a God who just wants to shower your blessings upon us. Thank you for your promise in Romans 8.32 where you say, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, help us to become those instruments, those channels that you can work through to bless a lost and dying world. Use us, Lord, to hasten your soon return. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.